Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Best Friends Matthew Lowe stared up at those two words while the Star Wars Battlefront II loading screen panned over a planet that existed a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Dude, you still have that thing? He asked his friend, Gavin Lancel, the word best having been stripped in all but spirit since the fifth grade. The thing to which Matthew referred was a drawing of the two of them playing in a pool together that Matthew had given to Gavin when they were five. His mom had helped him spell best friends, and it had actually been her who forgot to include the silent letter I. Huh? Oh, yeah, I guess, Gavin said dismissively. He dropped his controller and surprised Matthew with a violent hug. He said, I just love you so much, bro. His voice was drenched in sarcastic emotion. Laughing, Matthew pushed him away, saying, Get off me, creep. The game's starting. Gavin picked his controller back up and chose his class for the intergalactic battle. He said, I bet Mom hung that up. I honestly didn't notice it until now, since I was so used to seeing it in my old room. Well, I think it's sweet, Matthew cooed. He zeroed in his rifle on a battle droid's head and fired. Gavin swore under his breath. Wait, was that you? Matthew asked. You only get one of those, Gavin replied, elbowing Matthew below the ribs. The boys had hung out like this practically every afternoon since the fourth grade. They would ride the bus together and get off at one of their homes, usually Matthew's, but occasionally Gavin's. Gavin's parents both worked, so there was always a period of an hour or two during which there was no adult supervision. Matthew's parents weren't always comfortable with the boys hanging out without any adults around. But that had been when Gavin lived in a two-bedroom apartment downtown. Two weeks ago, the Lancels had moved out of the apartment into a house clear across town. The boys, now 13, still got to see each other at school, but hanging out afterwards became complicated. The distance between their homes was too far to walk now, and their parents weren't always willing to shuffle them back and forth. Last weekend, They had done a sleepover at Matthew's in order to make up for the lost time. This time, it was Gavin's turn to host the sleepover. 
and it was supposed to last the entire weekend. Monday was a work day for the teachers at school, so the boys didn't have to go back until Tuesday. The long weekend happened to align with Matthew's parents' 12-year wedding anniversary. They decided it might be the perfect weekend for an extended getaway, something they hadn't done since before Matthew was born. Leanna and James Lancel happily accepted the chance to have Matthew until Monday afternoon. At 13 and rocketing toward 14, their son Gavin could be moody, to put it mildly. Having a friend around all weekend would make the Lancel household a brighter place than it normally was, especially since the move. Ever since moving in, the family had felt just slightly off-kilter. James, Gavin's father, had said it was just the feeling of change, and admitted privately to Leanna that Gavin's teenage hormones probably weren't helping. The general feeling in the new house wasn't even necessarily bad, it was just… off. It reminded Leanna of a trip she had once taken to Sears Tower. On the top floor, there were glass cages extruding from the sides of the building. She had stood in one and stared straight down at the street below. Despite knowing the glass had held countless visitors before her, Leanna couldn't help dwelling on the baseless possibility that she could be one visitor too many. That semi-irrational feeling that the floor might give out beneath her was exactly how it felt in her family's new home. But at least at Sears Tower, she could see what lay below. She knew what to expect if the floor gave out. Matthew and Gavin gamed until one in the morning. Their energy had slowly depleted after the artificial boost from caffeine and sugar wore off. Matthew grabbed his backpack and headed into the bathroom to change into the t-shirt and sweatpants he had brought to sleep in. The bathroom was just around the corner from Gavin's room, which was good, since Leanna and James had gone to sleep hours before. The boys wouldn't have to worry about accidentally waking them during bathroom trips. Matthew stripped down to his underwear. His toothbrush was packed in his bag on top of his sleep clothes, so he decided to brush his teeth before dressing again. His teeth were coated in whatever the heck they put in Monster Energy drinks, and he couldn't wait to clean them. As he bent over to spit in the sink, he heard a tap-tap-tap on the other side of the wall. He repeated the pattern back with one knuckle, assuming Gavin was just messing with him from the other room. As he rinsed his mouth, he heard tap-tap-tap-tap. He repeated the simple pattern again, but this time, he followed it up with one of his own. Knock-knock-knock-knock. Tap, tap, tap. The response came almost immediately, like Gavin had predicted Matthew's pattern before he had even thought of it. Matthew got dressed uninterrupted. When he left the bathroom, he reached back in to turn off the light. A thump resounded behind the wall at the very same moment he hit the switch. This sound was far louder than the gentle taps. It sounded like Gavin had thrown something against the wall. Dude, you're gonna wake your parents up. Matthew warned as he re-entered Gavin's room. Gavin was laying on his bed, playing with a rubber band and looking drugged. Huh? he asked. Whatever you just threw was so loud. I didn't throw anything, Gavin said. He sounded barely alive. Matthew rolled his eyes, assuming Gavin was messing with him, but feeling too tired to play along. Whatever, dude. Where should I sleep? The boys woke the next morning with a feeling in their heads they hadn't the life experience to compare to a hangover yet. The immense amount of sugar they had consumed, along with the unhealthy amount of caffeine, piled on top of the poor, truncated night of sleep, had left them wrecked. Somehow, 
Through channels of thought only available to children, Matthew thought taking a shower would alleviate all of his woes. That, and maybe some pancakes if they could convince Mrs. Lancel to make a stack. I'm gonna was all he said to Gavin, with the slightest of nods toward the hallway and, thus, the bathroom. Gavin groaned and closed his eyes again. Matthew dragged the clothes he had changed out of up from the floor and sloshed himself into the hallway. His neck hung low, like a counterweight, towing his body along. He stumbled into the bathroom, tripping over the trim, separating the bathroom tile from the hallway's hardwood. After making sure there was a dry towel hanging on the rack, he turned on the water. Matthew dropped his sleep clothes, which somehow felt filthy despite him wearing them for less than five hours, and stepped under the hot stream drizzling from the Lancel's showerhead. The water wasn't coming strong enough. Why does it seem like any time you shower away from home, the pressure just isn't quite right? Matthew didn't mind, though. The temperature was perfect. Just hot enough to steam up the glass door. Matthew scrubbed off the layer of whatever you call the film that coats teenage boys during the night and started to feel better almost instantly. He filled his lungs with steamy, warm air, letting his body wake up one cell at a time. The wakefulness began in his feet and slowly worked its way up to the base of his neck. The reviving sensation had nearly reached his brain when a change in smell perked his mind up prematurely. An odor, like rotten eggs, sour and fermented, filled Matthew's sinuses and clung to their mucousy walls. When he looked down to hack a wad of phlegm into the drain, he saw the spiraling whirlpool there had turned murky brown. He looked up at the showerhead. Millions of droplets of infected water were raining down upon him, coating his skin in a rusty sort of brown dye and filling his mouth and nose with that rotten stench. Matthew's fingers wrapped around the shower knob, and he shut the foul water off. The whole bathroom stunk like weak-old roadkill. He reached through the noxious stream for the towel, holding his breath as long as he could. He didn't know what he was standing in, but it couldn't be healthy to breathe. The steamed-up mirror caught his attention. He had only seen it in his peripheral vision, but an instinct evolved in centuries past alerted him to something that didn't belong in the reflection. Matthew choked down another breath as he looked into his marred reflection. He could see the cloudy outline of himself in the fog. Behind him, on his left, was the dark shape of the brown towel he had just hung. But there was another shape on his other side, situated above his right shoulder. It appeared to be directly behind him, where there should have been nothing but the empty shower. It had no form, no distinct parts. It was like his own shadow had taken a step to the side to walk alongside him rather than directly behind. Matthew felt trapped, unable to move his eyes. He wanted badly to glance over his shoulder and see what the thing in the reflection was, but he was afraid to look away. If he had searched deep within himself, a feat he was incapable of in that moment, He would have found he was afraid the dark form might envelop him if he took his eyes off of it. It might become him, or he would become it. Neither possibility seemed more attractive. A sudden growl behind the door finally made Matthew take his eyes off the mirror. When he turned toward the sound, he also saw there was absolutely nothing to his side or behind him. The growl, he realized, was only the Lancel's French bulldog, Sly, 
probably not realizing Matthew had spent the night and wondering who the stranger in the bathroom was. Or maybe he senses something besides me in here, Matthew thought. He looked back at the mirror, just in time to see it vibrate, as if he had tapped on it. The dark shape in the clearing steam was gone. And so, Matthew realized, was the terrible smell. Sly continued barking at the door until Matthew opened it. He had only taken the time to put on his shirt and underwear. Sly moved right past him and began sniffing around the bathroom. Get out of there, you weirdo, Gavin chastised from the hallway. He appeared in the doorway and immediately threw a protective hand over his eyes. Oh God, what have you done to me? He cried. He pretended to stumble as he pointed a trembling finger at Matthew's tidy whities Matthew didn't laugh, but he did reach for his pants. You ever have any problems with the water here? Matthew asked as he slid into his jeans. Oh, it never comes out hard enough, Gavin answered. Any, like, weird smells, though? Matthew asked. Sly was still sniffing all over. You trying to blame your hairy deuce on the shower, bro? What? No! Matthew sounded too defensive, as most teens will when accused of something as awful as performing a bodily function. His tone only made him sound more guilty. Gavin teased and Matthew parried until the shower incident had all but left his puffy, tired mind completely. By the time the razzing ended, he was back to feeling tired and groggy. He didn't have any desire to give his friend more reason to tease him. He returned to the bedroom with Sly in tow while Gavin took his own shower, apparently without incident. When his host finished, they both went downstairs and were greeted by the entirely unroadkill-like aroma of pancakes and bacon. Sly, whose full name was Sylvester, named by James when Leanna wouldn't let him name the dog Rocky, hovered around Matthew for the rest of the morning. He wasn't hostile, but definitely on edge. If Matthew moved too quickly or made a sound such as a cough or a sneeze, Sly would instantly jump to his feet with his tail raised. Come on, boy, let's go outside, James said after tiring of the dog's behavior about halfway through breakfast. They had eaten all of the bacon, and most of the pancakes had been distributed, although the ones currently on everyone's plates were disappearing at a much slower rate than the first round. After James let Sly into the backyard, the dog turned back around to stare at the house for a moment before going about his business. What's gotten into him today? Leanna asked. Maybe you boys kept him up too late with all that banging around, James suggested. Matthew couldn't tell if it was a playful remark or an admonition. His tone could have read as, let's not repeat that again tonight. We weren't up that late, Gavin said. Well, then who was stomping around at three o'clock this morning? Asked Leanna. Gavin said, wasn't us. Matthew, more respectfully explained, we went to bed around one, I think. I didn't get up at all, did you? He looked at Gavin. Gavin shook his head. Huh, guess we have ghosts, James shrugged. Oh, Leanna cried as she launched up from her chair. The boys looked at her with disdain, thinking her antics were an attempt to startle them. No, 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 this is not a joke. I just felt like something grabbing me. The look on her face could not have been faked. What do you mean? James asked. It felt like my chair was wrapping around me, I swear. Like it turned into a giant hand for a second. No one believed her, obviously but they all squirmed slightly in their own chairs. Want me to look at it? James offered confusedly. 
No, no, that's all right. She slowly sat back down. She lifted her fork, then her knife. Then both utensils clattered to the ground and Leanna jumped back to her feet. It happened again. Now James looked under the table as if trying to catch the chair in the act, but all he saw was an ordinary chair. He got up and stooped to retrieve Leanna's silverware. When he stood again, they were face to face. Why don't you go start cleaning up and I'll check out the chair, James said. Leanna said nothing but nodded and brushed past him. You boys done? James asked. They also answered silently, picking up their plates to carry them to the kitchen. James watched them leave, then thwacked the back of the chair like an insect. Quietly, he said, Nobody touches my wife, you hear? He didn't know why he said this. To humor himself? To break the tension? Well, it didn't work. He wiggled the chair to see if anything came loose, but it seemed to be in good shape. He remembered Sly right before going upstairs to shower. He called to the boys in the kitchen. Can you guys let Sly in for me? I got it, Matthew said. He wanted to get away from Leanna. Although it wasn't really her fault she was creeping him out, her chair episode had reminded Matthew of the shape in the mirror. He was thinking of every scary movie he had ever seen. The demon, ghost, poltergeist, or even killer always seemed to fixate on one specific person, and anyone else who happened to be around was collateral damage. Matthew would never admit this to himself, but he ran out of the kitchen that morning because he didn't want to be collateral damage. He opened the back door and called into the wet morning air. Sly, Sly, come. Matthew couldn't see the dog, but the yard was fenced in so he couldn't have gone anywhere. Matthew stepped out and looked around. Sly, he called. Sylvester. This time, Matthew thought he heard a short whimper. He called again and, yes, whimpering answered from James's plastic shed. The miniature gray building was locked from the outside with a sliding bolt, so Matthew had no idea how Sly could have gotten in. Still, he undid the bolt to look inside. Sly ran straight out and ducked behind Matthew's legs, clearly terrified of something in the shed, or perhaps the shed itself. Matthew looked around until he was satisfied, then shut and locked the shed. He pet Sly for a minute before leading him inside. Sly turned around frequently to look behind them on the way to the door. Has he ever shut himself in the shed before? Matthew asked Gavin, who happened to be right there when he opened the back door. Sly? He couldn't open it if he wanted to, Gavin said. That's what I thought. I just found him locked in there. Well, don't tell Mom, because she'll freak out. She's still acting weird because of the chair thing. Matthew was only partially surprised that Gavin brushed what he said aside. He himself had brushed aside everything that had happened in the bathroom. Hey, you want to go to the skate park? Gavin asked. Matthew said, yeah, sure. He accepted because he felt the same desire to get out of the house that made Gavin offer the idea. The two of them were out the door five minutes later. James created some car projects to work on in the driveway, suddenly realizing it had been a while since he checked all his fluid levels and tested the battery and the brakes were probably due to be replaced, he said. Leanna thought the porch furniture needed some touch-up paint. Perhaps a whole new coat. The big breakfast allowed them all to stay out until mid-afternoon, even after their stomachs began to grumble, 
they kept outside of the house. James was the first to break. Hey, I'm going to go make a sandwich. You want anything? He asked Leanna before going inside. She asked for an apple. James went inside and immediately heard a muted but desperate scratching sound coming from somewhere further in. He hustled through the living room into the dining room where he snatched Leanna's apple out of the fruit basket in the middle of the table. He could hear the scratching slightly louder. Between scratches, James could hear whimpering. These noises led him to the kitchen pantry. James opened the door, which only latched with a magnet strip, and Sly rushed out. What were you doing in there, boy? James asked. Sly took a step away from the kitchen and tilted his head as if saying, Get out of there, man. All right, James followed. Once they were in the living room, Sly nestled against James's legs. What is going on with you? He asked, scratching behind the dog's ears. Sly's ears perked up, but not because of James's touch. The dog went stiff and pointed his nose toward the dining room. One chair was visible through the doorway. Leanna's chair. James watched it, somewhat expecting it to dissolve and morph into a big wooden hand. Before his eyes, the crossbar between the chair's front legs dropped off and rolled across the floor. He and Sly were out the front door before the crossbar stopped rolling. James brought Leanna her apple and made himself forget about the sandwich, though his stomach would try reminding him many times. He convinced himself a fast was in order, after the pancake breakfast anyway. After putting Sly in the backyard, he put his head and attention back under the car's hood. Two hours later, the boys came home to an empty house with a sticky note on the front door. It read, Went to get pizza. Back soon. You have a key? Matthew asked. Gavin grunted and sat down on the step. Matthew took that to mean no. A yip from above startled them both. They turned upward and listened as the sound repeated twice more. Matthew located the window from which Sly was crying and tried to give him a wave to say, everything's all right, but the dog wasn't facing the window. What's he doing? Matthew asked Gavin. Gavin said nothing. In between yips, Sly issued a fierce but hesitant bark. His rear end was backed all the way against the window. Whatever he was scared of was inside the house, not out. Try out the doors, Gavin ordered. He tore around to the back. Matthew flipped up the welcome mat to see if a spare key might be underneath. He quickly scanned nearby rocks to see if any looked suspicious enough to be hiding a key. No luck. Everything's locked, Gavin announced, returning from around the corner. Fortunately, Gavin's parents appeared up the road, already returning with fresh, warm pizza. When they pulled in, the boys assailed them. Leanna passed off two pizza boxes on Gavin, and Matthew stepped aside so she could get out of the car. She quickened toward the front door after looking up and seeing Sly's hard tail pressed against the glass upstairs. With hands trembling ever so slightly, she unlocked the door. James went inside first. Sly? He called upstairs. The dog's helpless barking continued. Leanna tiptoed inside but stayed close to the door. James went upstairs, and Sly's barking finally ceased. Leanna breathed easier when Sly came down the stairs, carried in her husband's arms, looking tired but unharmed. At the foot of the stairs, James set Sly down 
and made sure he wasn't hurt anywhere. Matthew and Gavin stepped inside behind Leanna. It was the weirdest thing, James said. She was just up in Gavin's room barking at the closet. It was open, too. She could see straight in. Wasn't anything there, though. Can dogs have nightmares? Gavin asked, sounding weirdly but understandably hopeful. All I had to do was pick her up and she was fine. Look at her, she's acting like nothing happened. A knock came from above their heads. Tap, tap, tap. Only Matthew looked up. Who was that? He asked. Was what? Leanna asked. Did you hear that knocking sound? I heard it last night too. Yeah, that's just the pipes, James said. They do that now and then. Just one of the funny house noises we've had to get used to. Every home has its quirks, Leanna remarked. Matthew swallowed and looked to Gavin, who looked at him like he was crazy. Matthew told him, I thought it was you banging on the wall while I was changing yesterday. You knocked back. No, I didn't, Gavin said. Matthew looked betrayed. The pizza's herbal aroma was making his stomach rumble. He hadn't eaten since breakfast and felt a little lightheaded. He couldn't quite think straight, so he didn't think. He acted. He knocked on a side table decorated with family photos. Knock, knock, knock. The pattern repeated over their heads once more. Now, Matthew had the Lancel's attention. Since they were all looking up, though, none of them noticed Sly's ears perk up or his legs bend slightly, becoming primed springs. With false confidence, Matthew knocked on the table again. Knock, 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 knock. There was a brief pause, during which Matthew thought nothing would happen. It would be embarrassing for him, which is a devastating prospect for a 13-year-old, but never had he wanted so badly to look the fool. Instead, they were all made to look like fools. A booming thump-thump, thump-thump overhead rattled the windows and the picture frames near Matthew's hand. All four of them ducked and made various utterances, some profane, Sly issued one aggressive bark, then seemed to regret this and retreated behind the couch. James ran back upstairs. James, come back, Leanna begged. She said, boys, go outside. But no one listened to her. The boys were listening to James running room to room, shouting at whoever was there to show themselves. It answered back last night too, Matthew said. In the bathroom. I thought it was you knocking, Gavin. No, dude, I'm serious. That wasn't me, Gavin insisted. So who was it? Leanna asked Matthew, as if he would know. He looked up at the ceiling and shrugged. By then, James had stopped yelling. They could hear him opening doors here and there, but a few seconds later, he came back down. All right, boys, he said in a forcedly humorous tone. You pulled a good one on us. How'd you do it? Do what? Gavin asked indignantly. You two really had us going today. This is one of those internet challenges, isn't it? Dad, we didn't do anything, Gavin insisted. Yeah, no, we aren't doing any of this, confirmed Matthew. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, I know it's all good fun, but please don't lock Sly up again. That's cruel. He's been acting all weird since you shut him in the pantry. We didn't do that, Gavin shouted, his anger growing. I'd never do anything to Sly. When was he locked in the pantry? Matthew asked. His earnest tone instantly made James doubt the theory he had spun up while searching the top floor. 
this afternoon, James said. Gavin argued, We were at the freaking skate park, Dad. Um, I found him locked in your shed this morning. Does that ever happen? Matthew asked. Leanna said, Guys, this pizza's gonna get cold. Can we eat while we talk about this? I'm starving. James agreed that they should all sit down and enjoy the pizza. He warned the boys there would be consequences for any more pranks, especially any involving the dog. Matthew and Gavin quietly absorbed his admonition like a couple of outclassed boxers taking hits they stood no chance of blocking. They sat at the dining room table, after James replaced the chair he had seen come apart earlier with the spare one in the closet. While Leanna ate, she did her best to pump the conversation full of airy topics like movies and TV shows. If the conversation ever waned, which happened frequently since they were all putting up a farce, she couldn't stop herself from thinking about her chair morphing into a hand to grab her. The boys prepared for bed after a much shorter night of gaming. This time, when Matthew went into the hallway bathroom to change, he could hear Mr. and Mrs. Lancel clanging around in the kitchen. He wasn't sure exactly what dishes they were cleaning, since they had eaten the pizza over napkins, but they were staying up by occupying themselves with something down there. This comforted Matthew a little. Although he secretly wished it was his own parents making that racket downstairs, he was glad to have the next best thing. Sly was still hanging out in Gavin's room, so Matthew knew he was okay too. He finally felt enough at ease to maybe, hopefully, get some sleep. After Matthew changed, he went back and found Gavin playing with the rubber bands again. He said, I think I'm just going to sleep. Without looking up, Gavin said, It's only like 10.30. I know, but I'm so tired. Gavin's rubber band shot across the room and struck the closet door. It pinged off and fell pathetically onto the floor at the foot of Matthew's sleeping bag. Gavin's head tipped back onto his pillow, and he closed his eyes. He said, Yeah, I guess I am too. Since Gavin showed no sign of moving, Matthew turned off the light before laying down. The curtains were still partially open, having been closed only enough to cut the glare off of Gavin's TV, but Matthew opted to leave them alone. He liked the faint light's cleansing blue glow. Gavin actually beat him to sleep. The rhythm of his friend's snores eventually walked Matthew to the edge of consciousness and let him drift away. Matthew dreamt that he was back in his own house. He would later reflect on how much he must have truly wanted to be home that night. Sadly, he was alone in the dream. The visuals were quite hazy, but the feeling of sadness, of separation, was practically tangible. It felt less like an emotion and more like the very blood pumping through Matthew's ethereal heart, traveling throughout every part of him, informing his movements and thoughts. When he became aware of the dream, he had been standing in his living room, but now he found himself in his bed. His own firm mattress supported all of him but his head, which rested in a valley on his plush pillow. The bed had no covers, though, which left him entirely exposed. Underwear only appeared on him after he realized his nakedness, like Adam suddenly coming alive in the Garden of Eden. A knock on a faraway door lifted his dream self, almost literally, out of bed. Before he knew it, he was traveling toward the sound. The space around him vaguely resembled his home. The rooms were too far apart, the ceiling too high, 
but he still knew where he was. He navigated his way without thinking. The knock came again, and Matthew suddenly realized he had reached the front door. His parents were on the other side. This realization came along with the appearance of the much-too-tall door. He put his hand on the knob and turned, but the bolt was shut. He moved his hand to unlock it and found himself on the wrong side of the lock. No, not the lock. He was on the wrong side of the door. He was outside now. His parents knocked yet again, but now they were knocking from inside? Were they telling him to knock to be let in? Desperate for his parents' embrace, Matthew knocked back. Matthew! Someone behind him shouted. He turned toward the sound. It was Gavin. Only Gavin with tiny yellow peas for eyes which rested in dark craters above a gaping, unnatural mouth full of teeth which had stayed small while the rest of the mouth grew large. Matthew! Gavin shouted again. Only this time, it was normal Gavin. He was laying in his bed with the covers pulled up to his neck, but they were in his room. Gavin's room. Gavin's room in his new house. Matthew wrinkled his nose and squinted. He was standing up, dressed in his sleep clothes, in front of the closet. His right arm was raised in a fist an inch away from the door. What are you doing? Gavin whispered. I'm... I don't... The doorknob clicked, and the closet door popped out a little as if the frame wasn't quite the right fit. Matthew took a step back. The door started swinging outward from a perfect standstill. Matthew stepped further back. Gavin pulled his covers up another inch. The back of Matthew's heel tapped the leg of Gavin's bed, startling him aware enough to duck behind the bed for cover. The door only stopped moving once it had opened 90 degrees. Then the whole room became still. The door acted as a shield against the moonlight, casting the corner behind it into perfect blackness a blackness which matched the interior of the closet. The boys stared into it, feeling as if it was staring back. Or perhaps there was something hidden in the new shadow. Maybe whatever had opened the door now lurked there. They waited and stared, each individually wondering if they should yell for the adults in the house. At least then somebody would open the door, maybe let in some light from the hallway. Matthew and Gavin couldn't even reach the light switch without getting close to the closet and the shadow. Matthew heard a sound like wind whipping through a flag. Gavin shouted incoherent words as his bedsheets tore away from him on their own. They flew into the closet in a messy bundle, and the closet door slammed shut. Matthew stood over the bed and grabbed Gavin's arm. What was that? What was that? He asked again and again as Gavin hyperventilated below him. They could hear disorganized sounds coming from another room. Sly started barking. Had Gavin been more aware of anything that existed beyond the closet, he would have known Sly was barking at the door of his parents' room, demanding to be let out. The closet popped open again. The door swung open to 90 degrees. It looked like Gavin's sheets had been draped over his hanging clothes and were dangling above the floor. Another door opened outside the room, and the tiny sounds of Sly's paws sliding across the hardwood immediately followed. In a second, the dog was at the door to their room, barking uncontrollably. The bedsheets in the closet moved. They separated from the clothes on the rack, but didn't fall. 
the boys watched them float forward, coming into the light with the shape of a tall, thin man beneath them. They stopped just outside of the closet and hovered there. The shape's head slowly pivoted back and forth from Gavin to Matthew to Gavin and back. James knocked politely and asked, Everything all right? Gavin screamed, Dad, help! The words barely escaped his inexplicably parched throat. James almost broke down the door. His shoulder hit it before his hand had fully turned the knob. He stumbled into the dark room just in time to see the last bedsheet flutter down to the floor. Sly went straight for it. He started ripping into the fallen sheets, searching for an enemy that had vanished, if it had ever physically been there at all. From somewhere in the wall came a knock. James turned toward it. He angrily drew his fist back, preparing to respond with the brunt of his anger. By now, Leanna had appeared in the doorway, and her lips parted in surprise at seeing her husband about to hammer fist the drywall. Stop! Matthew cried. Don't, Mr. Lancel. James's fist clenched and unclenched with his heartbeat. He turned his head halfway back and asked, Why? What is it? The kid's voice had had so much conviction, it made James pause for the second time that night. Don't knock back, Matthew said. I think that's what started this off and what's keeping it going. Didn't you see that thing? Gavin asked. The knock repeated, this time louder. Yeah, but what if the knocking is like inviting it to mess with us? Remember, you thought it was just plumbing or something, right? Matthew asked Gavin. Every house makes sounds like that, Leanna argued. Yeah, but I think these are different. I don't know why. Just don't knock back though, okay? We'll give it a try, James said. The knock repeated once more, but sounded more hesitant. It was clear that James still wanted to respond, but he resisted. Instead, he asked, So what did you boys see anyway? After the boys described the bedsheets flying into and out of the closet, the Lancels decided to move everybody to the living room to camp out together for safety. They put movies on, made snacks, and most of them stayed awake until around four in the morning. Only Leanna drifted off sooner than that. The following day, Matthew called his parents and got their permission for himself and the Lancels to stay in their house until they returned. He told them he was okay, and that he would explain more later on, but that the Lancels' new house wasn't safe to stay in right now. The Lancels made the tough decision to give up their house and move back into an apartment until the next opportunity arrived. During the process of selling, packing, and moving out, they heard plenty of knocks and taps and thumps that all went unanswered. And supporting, if not confirming, Matthew's theory, they were left alone. After moving out, Leanna and James mailed an envelope to their old address made out to current residents they left the return address blank. The envelope was empty, except for three words written across the inside of the flap. Don't knock back. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready 
Meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.